our sermon series through the Gospel of Mark, and this morning we find ourselves at the end of Mark 1, and as you turn in your Bibles or find the words printed in the bulletin, I also want to encourage you to come to Sunday School today. We're beginning a new series entitled, What We Believe and Why It Matters, and so adult Sunday School will meet out in the uh, this adult Sunday School room. We won't meet here in the sanctuary. That's at 11 o'clock. We also have classes for children uh, as well, so I invite you to stay. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. Remember Jesus uh, has just been at uh, Simon Peter's house, and then they brought a bunch of people to him at the end of the Sabbath to be healed. And then verse 35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, this is the next day, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, saying to him, If you will... You can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in the desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today grateful for your kindness toward us. We pray that you would... Bless your word to our hearts. Help us to see and sense the heart and the ministry and the mission and the message of Jesus, our Savior. And in, in seeing him, another, another glimpse, another sh- snapshot of Jesus, that we would be changed and transformed into his image. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It goes without saying, but I'll go ahead and say it. Uh, Priorities are important. In certain settings, in certain situations, sticking with your priorities actually could mean the difference between life and death. So uh, I understand that in most hospitals there's a signal about a life-threatening situation like cardiac arrest. Some hospitals call it a code blue Announcement is made throughout the entire hospital and then there's a rapid response team of people who drop everything to respond to this call so that they can perform life-saving measures. It's a priority. There's also priorities in an aircraft. If you lose power or if the engines fail, making your connecting flight or the temperature in the, in the cabin the air temperature in the cabin, they all take a back seat. According to a pilot friend of mine, a flight instructor, you prioritize these three things. You aviate, you navigate, 
and you communicate. First and foremost, you fly the plane. Secondly, you find a place where you could potentially make an emergency landing. And third, you communicate about what's going on and what the plan, what your plan is, how you plan to to fix this situation. So priorities are important. And they're not only important in, in the hospital or in an airplane. Priorities are important in Christianity. Remember Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15. These should ring true to you. They should be in your heart. He said to the Corinthians, I delivered to you what was of first importance that Christ Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So there are first things, first priorities in Christianity. And through the life of Jesus, we also see that He had clear goals and objectives and priorities in His ministry. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that the first thing that Jesus prioritized in His ministry was the Gospel. Jesus prioritized the gospel in his message and in his actions and through his mission. And so with every miracle and every sermon, every interaction, every decision, Jesus prioritized, he highlighted, he declared the good news of the gospel about himself. And so you remember a few weeks ago we we read from Mark 10 that he came not to be served but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. In other places in the Gospels, we read that He came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus had Gospel priorities in His life and ministry. And this is important for us because it's very easy for us to lose our priorities. To lose sight of our priorities. There are so many distractions and voices and alerts and notifications and reminders. And all those things aren't bad. But we find it hard to focus. We find it difficult day in and day out to to prioritize, to focus on the things that really matter. And here's what I want us to see this morning. Because Jesus prioritized the gospel, because he accomplished and lived the gospel, we can prioritize the gospel in our lives as well. And that's the key to our hearts being remade and renewed and retuned to God's plan and purpose for us. This section is an invitation to have our lives increasingly shaped by Jesus and His Gospel. And so let's take a look at some of Jesus' priorities, and as we do, maybe our priorities can be shaped by His as well. So in verses 35-38, we see that Jesus prioritized prayer. As you know, things started out with a bang in his ministry. John the Baptist paved the way for Jesus. Then Jesus came on the scene with his authoritative ministry, proclaiming the gospel of God. He's called his disciples. He's teaching with authority. He's casting out demons and healing the sick. That is quite an entrance. And then what Jesus does next is no less important. He prioritizes prayer. Look at me at verse 35. He does so personally. Jesus rose up early. How early? Before the sun came up. And he departed. He went to a desolate place. And he prayed. 
Jesus Christ made a dedicated, conscious decision to prioritize prayer personally in His life. And you have heard this before. It is no less true today. If Jesus Christ, the Son of God, set aside time and energy and effort to prioritize prayer in His life, how much more do we need to practice the priority of prayer. It doesn't mean you have to get up before dawn. It doesn't mean you have to go to a certain place to pray or you have to pray in a certain way every day. But it does mean that we need to make prayer a personal priority and commitment in our lives. And sometimes that commitment runs contrary to expectations. Contrary to our expectations and contrary to the expectations of others. And so we see in the passage that Simon and the rest of these newly called disciples, they went looking for Jesus. And they may have thought, where has Jesus gotten off to? What's He up to? We've got work to do. People are already lined up. What are you doing out here, Jesus? Everyone's looking for you. The implication is this. Stop fooling around. Stop wasting your time. Jesus, you need to get your priorities straight. And I love that Jesus doesn't answer them. <laughs> he doesn't give a defense of his prayer life. He simply says, uh, we'll see in a moment, let's move on to the next place so I can preach the gospel. When we pray, we make a statement. When Jesus prioritized prayer here, here he was making a statement. The act of prayer is a statement. So some of you have heard uh, sports commentators or coaches talk about things in this way. When, a, when a, uh, an underdog team beats a big team, what do they say? This is a statement game. This is a statement win. We can run with the big dogs. We can compete with, with whoever. But when we pray, we're making a statement. When Jesus was baptized, that was a statement, wasn't it? It was a statement from God the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. It was, it was a statement by Holy Spirit as He descended on Jesus like a dove. You're on the right path. This is the plan. And when we pray, when Jesus prayed, it was a statement that He needed, He pursued, He wanted that fellowship and communion with His Father and with Holy Spirit to strengthen Him along the way. And what we see about Jesus' life is that He prays in the beginning. He prays in the middle. Before they broke bread, He would often pray. Before He performed some miracles, He prayed. What did He do in the Garden of Gethsemane? He prayed. And He sweat great drops of blood. What did He do on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus prayed. And even now, do you know that Jesus Christ is praying for you? He prioritized prayer and he made a statement. What about us? There are a few things in the Christian life that uh, bring about more ugh, than if someone asks you, um, how's your prayer life? That's like, how's your evangelism going? Well, uh, not so good. But we know we're called to prioritize prayer Contrary to expectations. And here's what I want to suggest to you. Jesus prioritized prayer because He prioritized the Gospel. 
And conversely, as we prioritize the gospel in our lives, it will enable us and empower us to prioritize prayer more and more. Prayer can become more and more of a priority in our lives, even with the massive list of things to do. Even with the exhaustion of caring for a loved one or a newborn baby. Even when the tasks seem endless. Even when you feel like there aren't enough hours in the day to answer all the calls and the texts and the emails and and. to take the kids to practice and the recitals and the birthday parties and the swim meets and even all the church meetings. I know it feels counterintuitive, it feels backwards, but when we prioritize prayer, it's one of the primary ways that we can pursue spiritual health and growth and longevity to become better servants and more useful as parents as spouses, as friends, as neighbors. It's like Sabbath. It's like the Sabbath rest that we're called to. It's counterintuitive. I don't have time to rest. I've got all these things I have to do. But God calls us and equips us to be more engaged and useful and effective when we rest, when we pray, when we abide in Jesus Christ. So what statement are you making with your prayer life? And just so you know, Your pastor struggles here. I plan and pray and visit and call and prepare and study and preach and teach and lead and serve and connect and cast vision. And guess what gets squeezed out so often? Prayer. When we don't pray, what statement are we making? I'm the captain of my ship I've got everything under control. I'm good. I've got this. We're not, and we don't. And when we don't pray, we're trying to play God in our lives. But when we pray, we're saying, Lord, I need you. You're the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. You're our master, maker, redeemer, friend. In you we live and move and have our being. Pastorally. Maybe you've experienced this before. Maybe you're going through it now in your life. If you talk to people who have faced burnout, friends who have gone through suffering or sickness or heartache, one of the common themes is God slowed me down so that I could relearn and remember how to cry out to Him and prioritize prayer in my life. Jesus not only didn't give a defense for his prayer practices, he went on to explain part of the purpose in his life. He not only prioritized prayer, he prioritized preaching. We see it in verses 38 and 39. Let's go to the next town so that that there's purpose there. I may preach there also. That's why I came out. Last week we saw him proclaiming the gospel of God. That same idea here is preaching, proclamation, It's the same word, root word in the Greek. And so we see this intersection here, this beautiful intersection of Jesus' life and His ministry and His mission and His message. Remember, 
the beginning of the gospel of God, the Son of God. It was the very first verse of Mark. And then Jesus came proclaiming the gospel, which is the good news about Himself. And so, Jesus' mission of laying down His life as a sacrifice for our sins is inextricably linked to His message. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. He preached the gospel while He simultaneously accomplished the gospel. And it's important for us to see that all of His miracles and His healings and his, his, uh, the, the, the casting out demons, they serve to support and reinforce and validate the message and His mission. There were physical reminders. The kingdom of God is here. The king of the kingdom of God is here. So we have glad tidings of great joy. We have God's, God's, God is here. God is with us. The Messiah has come. Later, he would tell his disciples plainly, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to lay down my life, I'm going to be mocked and ridiculed, and I'll rise again on the third day. And because Jesus prioritized preaching, he prioritized preaching because he prioritized his gospel message. And as we think about ourselves, we remember the words of the Apostle Paul from 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And when I came to you, brothers, maybe 1 Corinthians 2, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you a gospel, the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, but what? I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We have the same message. We have the message that Jesus embodied and proclaimed. And no, we're not all preachers we're called, or not all called to preach, but the priority of the gospel and the proclamation of God's word should shape us in our lives. And so, in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul expresses what the priority of preaching looks like. Remember this passage? So beautiful. Therefore, since we have this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We've renounced the disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with the Word of God. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we proclaim not ourselves... But Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. For God said, let light shine out of darkness. This God has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Jesus prioritized the gospel. Therefore, he prioritized preaching and proclaiming that gospel message. We have it in his word. And we have it proclaimed from pulpits throughout this world. This is part of the priority. He prayed and he preached. And what's also really important is to see how Jesus fulfilled his ministry. Jesus prioritized pity. We see it in verses 40 through 45. We know this. We've talked about it before. How we do things matters. You may be right about something at work or at home but if you bulldoze and crush people in the process, you're not doing it right and you're not going to get much headway. 
Jesus prioritized prayer and preaching, yet also he was absolutely committed to pity. Now, when we hear the word pity, we think, that's pitiful. That's bad. That's sad. But the idea here is of compassion. Jesus was moved with compassion, with pity. He prioritizes pity and mercy and compassion. And we see that through the demonstration of faith and desperation from this man. You've heard of people, you've probably heard of people before talking about uh, hitting, getting to the end of their rope, hitting rock bottom. And oftentimes when you get to the end of your rope and you hit rock bottom, there is this willingness to do whatever it takes to get better. We see the intersection of those two things here in Luke chapter 1. We see it with a leper. A leprosy was a general term used in the Bible to describe all sorts of skin diseases and infections. The version that we're most aware of, and it's probably what this man suffered from, included open sores, neuropathy, it often ended with the loss of fingers and toes or worse in someone's life. Physically debilitating, humiliating, socially isolating. According to Levitical law, lepers had to tear their clothes, they had to cover their upper lip, and they had to, when they came in contact with anyone, they had to yell out, Unclean! unclean they had to live outside of the camp if a leper if a leper touched someone that person would become ceremonially unclean so let's play this out no handshakes no hugs no arm around the shoulder no touch it's difficult for us to even imagine the physical and emotional, and social, and personal, and spiritual pain that this man must have felt. And so we see the intersection of desperation, and need, and hope. What did he do? Verse 41, he came to Jesus. Just the act of approaching Jesus took courage and faith. He could have been turned away. No, get away. But he came to Jesus and he implored, he pleaded, he knelt down on the ground. Those are acts and posture and expressions of faith. And then he said these words, if you're willing, you can make me clean, you can make me whole. Essentially, if you want to do it, Lord, I know you can. If you want to, you can make me whole. Please make me clean. What a powerful picture of desperation and faith together. As we think about this prayer and him coming to the Lord in this way, I want to challenge you this morning to bring to God your impossible prayers. Bring God those things that in your heart of hearts, you may not say it out loud, but in your heart of hearts you think this is never going to change. It could never get better. Cast your cares upon the Lord and pray, if you're willing, God you can change this. And then we see the demonstration of pity and power. 
Sometimes people do things, a certain thing, maybe something that's unseen by most, and what do we say about them? Man, you could really see their heart in that. Well, through this action, we see the heart of Jesus on display. He was moved with pity and compassion. He prioritized pity. And notice how He heals. He reaches out and He touches this man. And, and it doesn't say in the text, but maybe at least the disciples thought, no, 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 no. Jesus, you're going to become unclean. You can't touch Him. But what happens? As he touches this man, he's immediately healed through the divine power of God and authority of God. We see here Jesus transforming, a snapshot of him transforming this broken, sinful, and unclean world, turning it right side up. Jesus Christ prioritizes pity and compassion This is a message that we need to hear and remind ourselves of. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. God demonstrates His love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We know the heart of God. You know this refrain from the Old Testament. The Lord, the Lord God, what? Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And after this incredible healing miracle we see a we see a demonstration of proof and perfect timing in verses 34 43 through 45 jesus gives strict instructions he gives two specific instructions first don't tell anyone and we get a glimpse here into the purpose and the plan and the timing and the staging of jesus ministry Theologians call this the self-disclosure of Jesus. He would not be run. He would not be uh, ruled by others and their expectations and their timetable for His ministry. He says over and over again, remember these words, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. And so He says, don't tell anyone, but go show yourselves to the priests. Part of the pathway of healing, of people being cleared from Diseases like leprosy as they had to go to the priest and be checked out according to the law of Moses. And then they would be declared no longer a leper. They'd be clean. They'd be declared all good. And notice what it says. Go show yourselves to the priest as a proof or as a testimony to them. And we get a glimpse here of the the growing tension that we'll see through Mark's gospel between the religious leaders and Jesus. And so when he would go and be declared uh, clean by the priests. the priest might say, well, who did this? Jesus of Nazareth healed me. Oh, then they'd be confronted, right? Do we acknowledge Jesus' power or do we stick to our religious uh, dogma? And so we see that Jesus demonstrates His power. We see Him demonstrating His perfect timing and declaring a proof. And what happened once the leper was healed? He went out and started telling people. Even Jesus told him not to. And honestly, there's part of us that, that gets it, right? You ever had to sit on really good news before? It's hard. But Jesus told him not to. And the result, it says in verse 45, was that Jesus could no longer openly enter the towns but had to conduct his ministry in desolate places. 
A few reminders from this. One, God is gracious and compassionate to us even when we're disobedient. And this is not a blank check for us to go and keep sinning against God because He'll forgive you. No, His grace should lead us to repentance and obedience and transformation. But it reminds us of Second, First John chapter 2. I love this verse. But if anyone does sin, everyone raises their hand. <laughs> We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Secondly, make no mistake that him telling people it did not derail the ministry of Jesus. It did not sabotage Jesus' ministry. He was still the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth and his timing is perfect even in the face of human sin and failure. So as we think about the priority of pity in Jesus' life. I want you to think about times when desperation and faith intersected in your life with the compassionate power and pity of Jesus Christ. Maybe they intersected in the face of ongoing failures. Maybe you're here this morning still struggling to believe that you can really be clean, that you can really be healed, that you can really be helped. Brothers and sisters, there is hope and power and cleansing and healing and compassion in Jesus Christ still. Maybe you feel unclean because of a particular Sin struggle in your past or in your present. Lust, pornography, sexual sin, abortion, addiction, anger, greed, lying, stealing. Those are just a few. Maybe you feel unclean and untouchable because you're haunted and plagued by what someone has done to you. Maybe you feel this overwhelming sense of loneliness and isolation because of the circumstances in your life, a sickness, a disability, a situation, a loss. No one understands. No one knows. Dear ones, we serve a compassionate servant king and Jesus prioritizes pity and he cleanses the unclean and he forgives sinners and he redeems renegades and he moves towards messes and he touches the untouchables whatever you are facing whatever your fears Jesus is a powerful and compassionate high priest and he's a savior and everything may not be fixed right away it may not be wrapped up with a bow but God can work in your life to cleanse and heal and make whole. And if it doesn't happen fully in this life, it will happen absolutely in the world to come. So, as we close, what are the priorities in your life? Not what do, what, not what do you want the priorities to be in your life. We're not talking about aspirational goals here. What are the priorities in your life? And as you, as you identify them, maybe like me, you say, there are a few things I'd like to see change. First and foremost, for believer and unbeliever, for old Christian, for new Christian, 
prioritize embracing and believing the gospel message, number one priority in your life is to return to and embrace the gospel message. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ alone for salvation. You haven't admitted that you can't be good enough to save yourself. Maybe you're ready to receive and accept the perfect life and sacrificial death of Jesus for you, young people. This gospel is your heritage. It is your inheritance. It's your, it's your testimony. Believe it. Embrace it. Don't ignore it. And for most of us here, who've been Christians for a long while, seeing Jesus' priorities and is, in, is an invitation for us to lean into and live out of our union and communion with Christ, He's the vine, we're the branches. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. We're called to abide in Jesus Christ. So keep His gospel message a priority so that you can grow in faith and repentance, growing deeper roots in prayer and preaching and teaching and reading the Word of God. And as we do, God will transform us in pity and compassion for others. And we'll be equipped to walk and wade through Every situation in life. To the things that we planned and hoped for, and the things that we, we had not planned and not hoped for. And that even through death, we can be more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Lord, help us to believe that. Let's pray. God, we thank You so much that You're with us and that You carry us along, and that You're a compassionate and gracious God. Help us to respond in faith and obedience, with joy and confidence. We ask for Your help in Jesus' name. Amen.